So you've seen companies that are, and there's many, many other examples, companies that are, are both executing on a core marketplace strategy, but deeply embedding a financial services component. And you know, while that on the service may appear somewhat kind of incremental, often the result is a breakthrough um, consumer experience. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Pete Flint is a serial entrepreneur. He built one of today's largest marketplaces, Trulia. Trulia was eventually bought by Zillow in 2014. And nowadays, Pete spends his time investing in next-generation marketplaces as a general partner at early-stage venture capital firm, NFX. His firm has invested in companies like Lyft, Patreon, DoorDash, and AngelList. Pete published a presentation last week on a topic that I thought was very interesting for this podcast, the rise of fintech-enabled marketplaces. I'll let Pete explain the trend, but as some of today's hottest companies evolve, it's their new financial services offerings that can create tremendous value. Pete Flint is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Hi, my name is Pete Flint, um, and I am a general partner at NFX. We're an early stage venture capital firm headquartered in San Francisco with office, San Francisco and also offices in, in Tel Aviv. Amazing. And, and I know that you guys have had a specific thesis um, around marketplaces. Can you kind of talk about um, that focus? Yeah, so sure. So, um, so I guess the art, just to give you some context on NFX. So we're an early stage fund. It, the, the name NFX is really a short for network effects. And I guess our entire thesis is driven by investing in network effects. Um, there's platforms, there's marketplaces, um, they're kind of B2B services and, and really that's driven by our entrepreneurial background. So, um, you know, the three partners, we've collectively founded 10 companies with exits of $10 billion, many of which have been marketplaces. And so we've just kind of had this passion for this space. And so, um, you know, we've been studying and operating and investing in marketplaces for gosh, uh, you know, over 20 years. And, um, and that's been just a core focus for the fund. And I think it's, you know, I think everyone, in, and particularly in 2019, you look at kind of this, this raft of IPOs that are coming out, whether it's Uber, it's Lyft, it's Airbnb, a B2B, a B2C marketplaces. And then you've really got these kind of B2B network effect platforms such as Slack and, uh, and Zoom, which are also kind of massive network effect businesses. So we're really, I guess the sort of thesis for, for us is to find the next generation of those companies, which have this core network effect that can create tremendous value for the participants and also you know core the core motion is they're highly defensible so that that's been the process and i think this is you know out of out of our research we've been tracking the evolution of marketplaces how they evolve from kind of really simple kind of lead gen type businesses online into kind of what we're um what we think is the next set of really exciting billion dollar marketplaces which we're calling fintech enabled marketplaces so can you describe to us what a fintech-enabled marketplace is? Yeah, maybe, maybe just give you a sort of, um, you know, 30 seconds on the evolution. So we've seen, so, so, you know, as you, as you think about kind of marketplaces, it's, it's been incredibly dynamic category. So you've seen how, um, you know, in, in, in many industries, you've seen kind of industries start from this sort of horizontal lead generation um, uh, platform. So you think of, you know, almost like um, a Craigslist back in the day, to some extent, um, eBay. Um, eBay added in a sort of horizontal um, transactional component, um, 
you know, similarly to, to, to Amazon as well. And then over the, over the years, you've got really there's, there's been a sort of a unwavering and relentless um, path that really in two directions. One of those directions is increasing the user experience. So you've seen companies that have, you know, let's, if you take hospitality, then, you know, 15 years ago in the US, you would, you would find vacation rentals through Craigslist. And yet today, you know, with really like a few clicks of a button, you can book a vacation rental in the most remote part of the world through Airbnb um, and get instant confirmation and payment and escrow in an instant. And it's, that's been a kind of very um, consistent journey in terms of companies innovating on the user experience. And that generally sort of manifests itself in either um, deep verticalization, solving that specific problem extremely well, or deep, you know, deep sort of platform um, innovation. So typically that's manifests itself in mobilization. So companies are being specifically driven for mobile. So think of Uber, you know, that, that really broke through user experience by creating a mobile centric experience. The other axis which companies have this sort of relentless um, motivation to, to enter is capturing more of the transaction. So, you know, the, the sort of anarchistic Craigslist um, is uh, really didn't monetize at all, except for one or two verticals. Um, and you've seen companies that as they achieve a kind of market dominant position, um, and as they look to build sort of big businesses, increasingly smaller niches, they're capturing more of the transaction. So, um, you know, again, in the hospitality space, you know, Airbnb takes a um, a commission on those transactions and now you're seeing kind of an evolution of companies which are actually providing kind of full stack sort of um, uh, full stack and full control over the experience um, such as Lyric and Zeus and, and others which are kind of really taking you know they're, they're taking the entire rent um, the, the rent or the hotel store and, and capturing much more of the economics rather than just a leap of gen fee that Airbnb is providing so you've got this Kind of relentless path and you know what we're seeing increasingly is that um, companies are evolving not just in managing the transaction but really getting into kind of providing innovative financial services on top of that transaction so that manifests itself in the case of um, some companies in, in the case of insurance products which is a core financial services product and integrate insurance product in, into their platform and, and that has various benefits to the marketplace. Or they're providing um, you know, services such as they're, they're purchasing supply to provide liquidity in the case of Open Door. Um, so you've seen companies that are, and there's many, many other examples, companies that are, are both executing on a core marketplace strategy, but deeply embedding a financial services component and you know, while that on the surface may appear somewhat kind of incremental, often the result is a breakthrough um, consumer experience. So you're able to enter, enter the market with this breakthrough consumer experience. And also you're able to capture more of the economics of the transaction, which we think the biggest opportunities in marketplaces to, um, to, to uncover often have this, this component of of capturing more of the transaction and dramatically better user experience. So it's definitely a theme that we've, you, know, you just, you described it much more eloquently than we have on, on Tearsheet, but one of the themes that we've been covering is sort of this topic of finance everywhere and banking as a service companies that are enabling 
sort of, you know, the, the chopping up of a bank and it being, being able to deliver those like sort of, you know, uh, surgical services into, uh, into other things. What's, what's, what's kind of, um, what are the catalysts here? I know you described a couple of them like in, in the course of your table. What's really driving this? Is it, is it our customers looking for this or is it just the marketplace that are deciding, hey, this is sort of the way we tie all of, all, all of the services that we offer together? Well, I think there's, you know, there's different catalysts, both from the, the sort of the company side and there's also catalysts from the consumer side. I think from the, you know, from the consumer side, the catalysts are that consumers demand a, um, you know, a really high quality service with a, um, with a frictionless experience. And, you know, you, you take a lot of these sort of perhaps large industries, whether that's housing, that's automotive, um, that's travel, they often involve kind of multi-party transactions, um, often with misaligned incentives. And so consumers, they have this experience which they've learned from Uber and Airbnb and others, which is like, um, I, I demand to have this um, uh, really seamless experience very fast, and they're actually prepared to pay a premium for that. Um, you know, there's a, you know, I spent some time, um, uh, you know, I, previous to NFX, I was the founder of Trulia and then sat on the Zillow board for a while and, and you know, watching Open Door as they uh, sort of grew, um, grew from a startup into a bigger company and, you know, the consumer research, but ultimately led to, to Zillow providing, a, a launching Zillow offers, really sh shone a light on this, was surprising to everyone that there was a very large portion of consumers that are prepared to pay a pretty sizable fee the convenience and confidence of transaction um, and you see this in countless industries whether that's automotive um, whether that's travel obviously transportation people are prepared to prepare to pay a, a, a premium fee for a premium service in substantial parts of the US so that's that's kind of the core consumer demand on, on the business side there's a number of kind of you know, enabling um, catalysts, which kind of make this possible today. The first is that this, this sort of feels like a, a sort of almost a natural evolution. So the money is flowing through these marketplaces um, and all this sort of commerce is done digitally. And so once the money is starting flowing through this marketplace, you can start to do more with that money flow. So, um, you know, whether that is providing banking facilities or insurance facilities or credit facilities the money is flowing and this is a kind of natural evolution of that um, the other is that the data is flowing in enormous volumes and i think you you've seen that these these companies that um typically you know perhaps would have very, be very fragmented across multiple um different participants in that in an ecosystem they're collecting a huge amount of data they're collecting a huge amount of data about consumers, about supply, about habits, about activity. And the, and the, the data exhaust from these transactions is hugely valuable in various different ways. So you've got, you know, this can provide superior underwriting, superior consumer experience. Um, you've got this data flow, which is um, at scale is extremely valuable, which, um, you know, again, company like, like Zillow is using at scale both to kind of capture more economics, but also fundamentally to drive a, a better consumer experience. And I guess the last catalyst is, is around, you know, a, a whole raft of enabling platforms and technologies, 
which kind of plugging in can be sort of plugged into services. So um, Plaid in, in the kind of providing integration and banking is an enormous example. Stripe, Stripe obviously, you know, has done this from a kind of a payments um, perspective and transaction perspective, but there's a whole raft of, of companies that are providing services to plug into existing marketplaces to provide these, these services. And, and, then, and then finally, the, the capital is available. That, you know, one of the, you know, sort of scary things, but also exciting things is about as many of these companies raising enormous amounts of money to really to, to transact in their own marketplace. Um, and, you know, the capital that, that anyone looking at the, the startup ecosystem has changed dramatically over the last decade, both from a, you know, from an equity perspective as also a debt perspective. So um, a lot of, you know, Wall Street and other large institutions are looking at this ecosystem and, and they're able to, in, in the case of potentially real estate, you know, since 2008, huge amounts of capital has gone into the, this, this industry, initially buying distressed properties and distressed mortgages and done very well. And now they're looking for kind of other avenues. And so that, that capital is flowing in in, in, a, in a meaningful way, which is enabling a lot of these new businesses. So I'm kind of interested at, in the relationship that a customer would have with a marketplace, whether it's a B2C or B2B customer. Um, is, is, it, is it in a way displacing a banking relationship or is this new incremental business? Well, I think in... Um, I think you know we we see a general rise in in like we talked earlier about kind of verticalization or um, platform specific services, and I think for uh, for banking services you can start to see a um, an increasingly you know, increasing set of virtualized focused banking service providers. So um, you know, and this is obviously a kind of callback to the original banking. Um, infrastructures that there were banks and financial services that were particularly targeted on farmers or firefighters or kind of other institutions um, and then they've kind of you know bundled and went incredibly horizontal and I think there's a kind of evolution going back where um, customers are and consumers are demanding a um, a more tailored experience specifically to them um, and so you do, you know, one would expect to see a cannibalization from core, um, the core retail banks to, uh, to, to vertically specific or custom or segment specific um, banker providers, whether that's, you know, obviously there's a kind of rise of kind of near banks and, and millennial focused banks, but also you can see this happening for, you know, for, for Uber drivers providing, you know, Uber will get, it has a sophisticated financial services component. Um, and, you know, and, and workers and consumers that are particularly tied to a um, product or service, you could see they're becoming increasingly vertically specific. And that does start to cannibalize the, um, the position of retail banks, which are, you know, one size fits all and are unable to keep up with the specific demands of specific segments. Do, do you have companies in your portfolio that are starting to go down this fintech enabled marketplace path? Yes, um, yes, several. So, um, you know, there's a number, um, and, and, and there's a number specifically today in, in real estate. So, Ribbon is a company that provides almost sort of a bridge financing, enable you to 
to buy your property before you sold your previous property, mm. but acting as a platform working with all agents across the US. Um, you know, there's there's a number there's a there's another stealth international real estate company which is um, doing somewhat similar. Um, again, providing kind of financing along with transaction services. Um, and then we're, you know, we, I think we, we've seen a number of it. There's another company in the B2B payment space, which is providing a service. And I think we've, you know, as venture investors, we look at some of these FinTech tools per se, and they think, well, that's interesting, but uh, it may not have the defensibility um, of, a, um, of a core marketplace business because it's an interesting fintech call that could be easily replicated by a bigger incumbent. But what we love about these, these um, fintech enabled marketplaces is that, you know, one is that they have this, you know, can often um, provide this, this magical consumer experience that takes this multi-partial transaction and creates this breakthrough product experience, which consumers love. Uh, it also is really complicated like, to, to kind of, to be a CEO of one of these, one of these companies, you need to have, you know, this incredible left brain, which is understanding kind of how to structure, um, uh, you know, and, and, and navigate a kind of uh, a complex financial services um, world and, and the regulation and the structure and the, and the terms associated with that, with an incredible kind of right brain, which is, really an intuitive product sense, um, which is how do you build a kind of a magical user experience, which is, which is digital, which is mobile. And that is extremely rare. And anything that's really hard is really interesting. And so, and so finding that, you know, that combination of product skills, business skills, um, and to create a breakthrough proposition creates a, not only an interesting tool in, in sort of financial services component, but also massive defensibility, which is driven by the core marketplace components. So we see, you know, the, the industries that we're looking at, we think the, the opportunities exist both in sort of core, sort of perceived to be mature categories, um, whether that's housing, automotive, you know, sort of B2B payments, um, as, 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 you know, as, as well as a whole bunch of greenfield opportunities. Greenfield opportunities, which could be sort of, seemingly niche opportunities that haven't kind of hit, hit main time, ma mainstream, or they could be, you know, large industries. Um, you know, you, you look at, you know, sort of recent examples um, in the space of being uh, in the education space. So Lambda School has really come out with this, um, uh, while it's not a new concept, has really sort of shone a light on this um, income share agreements, mm -hmm. which essentially is, is rather than, you know, students applying to university, then applying for a loan, getting into huge amounts of debt. Um, Lambda School is essentially taking uh, a percentage of the future income post-graduation for, uh, for the students that are admitted to its university, which removes incentive misalignment so they can focus on really a, a, great, um, a great educational experience and also removes the friction, uncertainty, and risk from a from the end consumer. So that that you know that business is taking off and done and doing extremely well. Um, and that in education has traditionally been an industry which has been you know there's enormous tens of hundreds of billions of dollars spent on that industry. But year it really has been 
um, you know, devoid of kind of venture scale returns historically. And it really is this, this you know, what, what Lambda School has, has really done is, is built a fintech enabled marketplace, remove misaligned incentives, a great product experience, um, and is, uh, you know, is building up a kind of deep network effects within the business. We see that happening, you know, in other areas of the education space, but we also see, you know, other like the healthcare industry, healthcare industry um, is also somewhat scary for traditionally for venture investors. It's full of misaligned incentives. It's full of complex financial services um, components. Um, and there's likely going to be some niches within that industry, which uh, are, are really open to um, smart financial services, savvy um, uh, entrepreneurs that can build a fintech enabled marketplace within those categories. And, and many, many other categories we think, we, we think can be this sort of notion of fintech enabled marketplaces can be applied to. And uh, in the remaining time, we have time for one last question. Um, I'm curious, when a marketplace sort of transitions into becoming a fintech-enabled marketplace, you talked about the, the challenge of the CEO needing to use both sides of his brain, but do they typically need to go out um, and recruit in um, financial services talent at that point? Because um, the reg- given the regulation, a lot of like sort of the technology stack, it feels like it's almost like a different business for them. Yeah, so there's, you know, there's often kind of... <clears throat> two paths for companies. So one is really a, a kind of deep partner strategy. So finding, you know, in the case of um, companies which are uh, looking to provide a integrated insurance product, um, often companies will look to partner, certainly in the initial phases of that, um, uh, where they would look to really just sort of white label third party insurance products um, that structured to the specific use case. Um, and that, you know, that's, very valid and sensible approach from a from a kind of starting point perspective, um, or there's sort of a core in-house um, capability. So you see a lot of the, you know, where companies are buying assets, whether that's cars or whether that's houses uh, or machinery. Um, you know, often the structuring of the credit in that is is complex, um, it's time-consuming, and needs you know it needs really credible domain experts to be on board to raise the capital on behalf of the company and, and structure it in a, an appropriate way. So we, we both, are, both are valid um, and you know, we often see it's, it's easier to start by partnering, um, but fundamentally the, the, you know, the CEO has to have a, um, uh, a sense of understanding about doing this because you know, the, the, the rewards are significant driven by leverage and data but the risks are actually significant as well. So the, the team that can structure the right product, not but to, to build a user experience, which is, um, you know, provides real utility, but it's not super, but not, but not it's inherently risky to the, to the financial services partner. Um, but, but to be able to navigate that with the constituents as well is not, not trivial as well. Pete, thank you very much for joining us on the Tahir Sheet podcast today. My pleasure. Great to chat.